Listen, would you bow your head and your heart before the Lord just one more time? Lord, before we minister the word, I thank you that my study won't change lives. What I articulate, my personality, whatever that is, that would make someone attracted to coming to this place, that's not it. You are it. I am here to tell you, Lord, I confess that I'm incapable of doing anything unless you do it. The only thing that's good that dwells in me is you. And so, Lord, meet the needs of your people, one and all. Lord, pour in your word to change and transform lives. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? That was for me, not you, because I have for 30 years felt the pressure and the weight of the church, and I am no longer willing to carry it because Jesus died for the church, so I don't have to. So your needs don't get met by me. I am an instrument and a tool that God uses. I want you to learn to go directly to the Lord. Amen? Touch your neighbor and say, he's more equipped anyway. Tell him right now. So for us, we are at the start of a new year. The messages in January, for me, always set the course for us and the direction that we're going to go in, which is why we gave the word of the Lord last week, Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. The Lord is indeed doing a new thing among us. How many of you know that you shouldn't be traveling in circles? Like your growth in the Lord should be taking you from one level to the next level of growth, wherever that is. Each of us are different. Please don't do what people do on social media. You are not comparing yourself to anyone else. Your walk is your walk. Your marriage is your marriage. But how many of you know we should be progressing and moving ahead in the things of God. Amen? There should be growth. So then if God is doing a new thing, that means you and I can't do what we did in 2022 and 2023. That there's new, if God is pouring in new wine, he does not pour new wine into old wineskins, which for me says, wait a minute, if God's doing new things in every category of my life, I want the Lord, I want a new marriage, I want my finances to be impacted, my spiritual walk, I don't want my prayer life to plateau and then decline, I want my worship life to change and to grow and to evolve. That means you've got to be willing to be uncomfortable and you've got to assess yourself. How many you know, how many ever been in a big mall? Anybody? Like, I'm talking about a big mall where, where, where you like don't know where anything is. They always have these maps, right, that say you are here so that you then can orient yourself and find your way. Part of what I hope the fast is doing for you, we're entering the second week of our fast. Hello, somebody which hopefully you are through the withdrawal from sugar, caffeine, whatever you were doing, social media, which by the way, I had somebody today, how many of you know that social media is addicting? I had to literally have somebody today because I have a struggle with social media. I had somebody set parental controls on my phone so I can't download social media because I kept deleting and downloading it and deleting. And I said, I'm not getting anywhere fast here. Come on, y'all. And then I told my wife, I said, hey, so of all the addictions I've had in my life, this is the least destructive. And she looked at me and said, it depends on who you ask. So it is off my phone. Guess what? If you need to get in touch with me, you will have to do it the old-fashioned way. You will have to call me. And so there are new things. And so in this fast, let's like this next week as we enter into the second week of our fast, it's a three-week, 21-day fast, let's get away from what we're not doing. And let's get into who we are spending time with. Because it's not about what you're not doing. And by the way, touch your neighbor right now and tell them, you are not the fast police. Tell them right now. You know what those, those people are. Those are all the people who remind you while you're going through the drive through that you're not eating fast food. That you said you were going to do this. That's but your fast is between you and the Lord and nobody else. Come on, somebody. Let the church say amen. amen. Mind your business is what I said. Um, so, so, but with that being said, there is the necessity for us, if we're going to do what God is doing and he's doing a new thing, then that means all of the old mentalities, the old habits, the whole patterns. And, and I read something recently that said, first we make our habits and then our habits make us. Like you're the product of your habits right now, not just your decisions, but you have a habit of doing things. You got to, like for me, Coffee in the morning. Come on, somebody. And just so you know, a Keurig is not coffee. 
that is not coffee. Get rid of those things. I don't know what it is, but that's not coffee. So my French press is my friend. Come on, somebody. I have a pattern. I have a habit. That's, I get coffee and I get in the Word. It's a pattern. Whatever your patterns are, they are releasing either the blessing of the Lord, more of who He is, intimacy in your life, or you have patterns that are moving you further away. That's, oh, geez, let me help y'all. Nobody said amen on that? So either this service is an amen service or an oh me service. That's what it is. So, but there's this idea that we've got to change the mentalities, the habits, the patterns of our life to enter into the new that the Lord is doing. You can't drag last year into this year. Come on, y'all. So there's got to be some repentance and some reformation where we are allowing spirit-led reforming of our lives, our appetites, our habits. And as we sit before the Lord for 21 days and listen, no matter what you are, you know, sacrificing, whether it's food, TV, whatever it is, you are then listening very attentively for where the Spirit of the Lord is at work in your life, in your marriage, in your family. And I heard somebody say, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna limit the amount of tablet time that our kids have. We're going to set a watch over them because they're on a tablet too much. And that was spirit-led. That wasn't because a message got preached and the pastor said. That was the Spirit of the Lord speaking to a father saying, this is what we need to do for our house. Now, he's only got to make sure his wife buys into that too, amen? Because she's the one that says, they driving me crazy. But whatever that is, however the Lord is speaking, there's got to be change afoot. So all of us, say all of us, have something the Lord is going to put His finger on that requires repentance and reforming of our lives. And repentance reveals the goodness of God in our life. Amen? So this morning, and one of the things that Coco and I do is we look at our lives in categories, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our family, our relationships, all of these kind of areas. And one of them is finances. And so this morning, I'm going to minister a message called money, a trust, a test, and a tool. That's what money is. It's a trust, it's a test, and it's a tool. And, and so it's kind of funny to me because I've got some pastor friends who will say things like, because even this week, several people are like, I know what you're preaching. You're preaching money. Are you okay? Are you going to be okay? Because pastors notoriously don't want to minister this message and, and will bring in guest speakers to speak to their church about money. And, and to me, that's, that's, you know what that's like? That's like me being a father and a patriarch in my family, and I don't want to have hard conversations with my family, so I say, hey, Brandon, I need you to talk to my kids. I would never do that. And indeed, I know that you've seen excesses and people doing all kinds of craziness and Christian celebrityism. I hope you know by now that Coco and I do not want to be celebrities, that we are part of you and a family. And when we talk family, that means we have to talk about everything. Are you with me? Now, you have to be more responsive than that. Are you with me? Because here's what's funny. There's two subjects that nobody wants to talk about in church, but everybody wants some, and that's money and sex. Hello. Yeah, y'all ain't looking, just kidding. I don't know what he's talking about, all right? Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so we're not talking about sex today because one of the guys heard me say that in the early service. He said, you never really got to sex, and I was waiting. And his wife was standing there like, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy. So you're off the hook. Here's what I'll say about finances. And, and I read this maybe 10 years ago, and I wrote it down, and I kept it. Unmanaged finances are a symptom of an unmanaged life. If you don't manage your finances well, it's a symptom. It's not, an, it's, it's not a wholesale, it's just a symptom that you're out of control in other areas. If you don't know where your money is going, if you haven't assigned it, if you don't, if, if you don't have any financial literacy or biblical economic principles that govern your money, then, then chances are you are not flowing in the blessing that the Lord would have for you. How many of you remember a time when you didn't drink water out of plastic bottles when you were young, that when you were out in the summertime and it got hot, you didn't run in the house and then your mom had a water bottle for you? She said, go around the house and get that hose. And you turned the hose on and you drank water out of the hose. Hello, somebody. You didn't pay $4 a bottle. I'm old now. Y'all got to help me, man. $4 a bottle for water. You got it out of a hose. 
Now, every now and then you were like me and you and your friends ran around the house and you turned the water on full blast and you got the hose and looked at it because there wasn't that much water going through it. And all of a sudden, somebody went around and got the kink out of the line and you got more water than you intended. I wonder if you're not experiencing levels of increased financial blessing because you've got a kink in your line. Because the flow or the supply from heaven is inexhaustible. So if you've got need and there's lack in your life, you've got to look at your principles because there's a kink in the line that won't allow the blessing of the Lord to flow through and to you. Now, here's what I want to tell you about yourself. You are supposed to be God's distribution center of goodness in the earth. In other words, he wants you blessed and increased, not so you can floss and look like, buy all your purses, all your shoes, which by the way, God doesn't mind you having nice things. He, he does mind that the things become your pursuit and your identity, which steals your heart away. Are you hearing me? And so you're supposed to be a distribution point. And my pastor would always say to us as young disciples this way, if God can get it to you and through you, you will never have a lack. It's only when God gets it to you that it gets stuck on your four, your family, your needs, that you don't let it flow through you. That's when the lack starts. Your generosity, listen to me one time, your generosity is the key to the flow flowing ever increasingly in your life. Are you hearing me today? And so part of the problem, I think, at least in my life, when Coco and I got married, we had no zero financial literacy training education whatsoever. All I had was what we got in school at, at home economics. Anybody remember home economics? Where you learn to cook a little bit, not enough to really survive. You made Rice Krispie treats, but you can't live off of those. But they were teaching you how to cook. And I remember distinctly learning how to do a checkbook in that class. But how many of you know now, our kids graduate high school and have never seen a checkbook unless you as a family member are teaching them literacy. They don't know. But here's what's funny. The vultures, not funny, tragic. The vultures prey on them because their first semester as college freshmen on a college campus, they will be bombarded by MasterCard and Visa and everybody else to get credit cards pre-approved. By the way, I, mom, I've got a credit card for $1,500. Yeah, but you don't have a job. So that means I'm paying your credit card. Hello, somebody. And so they early and often learn and they become enslaved to debt. Now, I grew up in the inner city of Baltimore, and it doesn't matter whether you grew up in the inner city and you are trapped there, whether you grew up in a rural community and you're trapped there, or whether you're in a trailer park, it doesn't matter. Lack and poverty is lack and poverty, and it comes through a lack of knowledge. Touch your name and say, that's a good word. So, so then I remember very distinctly, I, here's what I knew that you were supposed to do. I grew up knowing you were supposed to do this with money. Spend it. Get it, spend it. Go to the mall, go get some clothes, go, listen, watch this. Go buy your wants and then eventually beg your needs. In other words, you buy everything you want and then you got to turn around because the mortgage note is due. Rent is due. You don't have a mortgage because you broke. You got to rent. Are you hearing me? And then, so, so then if you got to, if you really, you know, maybe ended up in a, in a car accident or something like that and you got a chunk of money, you know what we do? We go buy a car. So now all of a sudden I got an $80,000 car, which I remember the very first time Coco and I bought a BMW. I'm just here to tell you, BMW tires are not like regular tires. I remember that girl got a flat and I said, oh, no problem. I'll take it down to get it fixed, no worries. Took the car down, Scott, the tire was $500. I looked at the guy, I said, the devil is alive, put that spare back on it. I went home, I told Coco, I said, hey girl, you can't drive a BMW because we look like we got money, but we don't. So that means we got to get something you can drive that I can afford to have fixed. Be surprised how many people in, in the inner city where I came from were driving $100,000, $80,000 cars, parking them out in front of apartment buildings. So they've got, a, they've got a depreciable with no assets. Come on, somebody. 
How many know it, it, it just because what happens when you come from poverty, lack, and want, and you've been oppressed, you start, well, you know, we, we never really going to get out, so we just going to look like we got money like the people that do because that's what you have. That's all you can have. How many know that's not what God has for you? Come on. How many understand that that's not what the Lord has for you? That, that there's a blessing for you, but you have to operate in obedience and cooperate with his system. And it is not the American system. It is a kingdom system. It is biblically based. Are you with me? So, so then here's what we're going to do today. I had no idea about financial principles like this one, that you're to honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your increase, Proverbs 3 and 5. So, so how many, like the very first thing that I do when I get my check is I give God his portion immediately, right off the top. When I heard that principle, it really started helping me because if you know who comes first, then you know who comes second, third, fourth, and fifth. And I learned through obedience to put my trust in God. Come on, somebody. How many know your job is a resource, not your source? Oh, Lord, look at y'all. That's already revelation for somebody. Your job is not your source. So if it goes away or the economy changes, it doesn't matter whether the Republicans are in the House or Democrats. Look at y'all. Y'all just, just keep looking straight ahead. Doesn't matter what political system is that you operate off of God's economic system, not the United States. Oh, y'all not talking to me? Okay, let me find something you like. We are kingdom people we have, according to Colossians chapter 1, been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, which means I have a king that trumps the president. No pun intended. Hello, somebody. I have a, I have a God who is a king of kings and lord of lords that I bow to, okay? That's first and foremost. Now, I served this country for 10 years as a Marine, so when I tell you I love it here, I do, but I recognize that there's a kingdom authority above our governmental authority, amen? So, so here's what I want to do. I don't want to preach a sermon. I want to give you a series of gems or nuggets of truth that I picked up along the way because I'm telling you, Coco and I both grew up in a system where the only thing, we were taught nothing taught nothing about money. Everything we have learned, we have gathered along the way. Are you ready? That's like three of you. Are, are, are you here today? I, I just want you to know, in case you didn't notice, I'm a black preacher. That means you got to talk to me. I'm sorry. If you had a white guy up here, he wouldn't care. I care. Holla at your boy. Amen? Okay, number one. Yeah, I know. Now be quiet. Okay, number one. Y'all crazy. Number one, we possess all things, but we own nothing. We possess all things, but we own nothing. Deuteronomy 10 and 14 says this, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Psalms 24, Psalm 24, one and two, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Genesis chapter one says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means if he created it, he owns it. So everything you have, you possess it, but you don't own it. It is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. Some of you have grace on your life to steward more or manage more of God's resources than others. Here's what I would tell you. What you have is not all you can have. Touch your neighbor and say, you can have more. Turn around and look at somebody and say, you can have more. Turn around and look them right in the face. You can have more. So, so then what am I to do with God's resources? The Bible calls, there's a word in the, in, the, in the New Testament called steward or stewardship. It literally means that you are the manager or overseer of another's goods and household. In the Old Testament, when you talked about stewards, you were talking about somebody that was given charge over his master's children, over his possessions, over his servants. He had authority to exercise whatever he needed to do underneath the master's household. However, it was not his house. 
It was the Lord's. And so, therefore, you and I need to understand that we're managers of the resources that God has given us. That means you should be checking with the Lord on a regular. Should we give to this? Are we to allocate this? Should I go to the mall? When's the last time you stopped and asked the Lord and checked and said, is it okay if we buy this? Is it okay if we purchase that or move this way or that? We say, oh, this all belongs to the Lord. I got you. But functionally, we act as if we have the last say. The reality is, is it's God's. And the more you start honoring him by checking in and saying, hey, Lord, we want to go on vacation this year. How should we allocate your resources? We want to do this this summer. If it is your will, whatever that is, you're leaving room for the Lord to give you counsel. To It's his. So you're honoring him by inviting him into the conversation. When's the last time you had a prayer meeting at your house about how to allocate your money? This is the first of the year. You should be looking back over your finances from the last 12 months and saying, here's how we spent money. We gave this amount to this and this amount to that. We gave this amount to the church. We, man, where are we this year? I got friends of mine, including my wife and I, who literally pray at the beginning of a new year, say, God, so, so the 10% that is a tithe, that we give 10% of our increase. I can remember the very first time I heard teaching on tithing. I said, ain't no way in the world I'm getting the church 10% of my money. I say, no way, we ain't got no money like that. We ain't got no money to be given to the church. 10%? That means that's 10% less than what we have. And I remember my wife and her infant faith say to me, but do you want God involved with our finances? I said, yes. He said, this is what he said. Test me in this. Just so you know, the tithe is the doorway in. It is not the goal. Because for us, we're looking at how much we're given above our tithe. I've got friends of mine that are saying, you know what, each year we want to add, and we're the same, we want to add another percent. And the goal for one of my friends this year was 25%. He wanted to give 25% away this year. Last year he gave him 20, and this year he wanted to give 25. And I thought, what a great conversation, a prayer meeting, a conversation to have as a family. How much are we going to give? How generous are we going to be this year? And so for you and I, we've got a steward in a way that honors the Lord. And get him involved in your finances because you can't multiply it. Hello, somebody. You can't increase it exponentially, but God can. God can do miraculous things. And you say, well, I'm on the 6,000 level. It doesn't matter whether you're on 6,000 or 600,000 level. It's the principles are the same. And God will increase you incrementally as you are faithful. Say faithful. That is what is required of a steward, to be faithful with the master's resources. Yeah, okay, son, warm the car up. We're going to need to make a hasty exit today. (laughs) Gem number two, here it is. Whenever you are asked to give or instructed about money, it should never, say never. It should never evoke guilt, condemnation, or shame, which are all expressions of manipulation. Now, I'm going to read a portion of Scripture in a minute, but I want to tell you an experience I had. When I was a young convert, I used to listen to the radio. I was in the Marine Corps, so I wasn't able to get to church a lot, and so I needed to get the Word into my life, and I realized they had radio programs. Calvary Chapel had radio programs, and after the Calvary Chapel hour, there would always be this one guy that came on the radio, and it sounded something like this. Good afternoon, saints. I just want you to know we're not going to be able to keep this radio broadcast on in your area if you don't give $100 today. We're just not sure we can continue to provide this quality program in your area if some of you don't give today. And I thought to myself, this guy begs every—and it was like that week after week after week. And I thought to myself, one Sunday, one afternoon, I said it out loud, shut it off, shut it down. Because if you got to beg, you're giving God a bad look. Come on, somebody. I'm like, if God wants you to be on the radio, he will supply it. Maybe it's God giving you an indication that this is not what you're supposed to do, and your broadcast should not be in my area. And I'm not sending you a dollar. Come on, somebody. And there's all of these practices of coercing people and manipulating people. I remember the very first, uh, like, prophetic conference I went to, Liz, and, and they did this. They said, hey, if you want to, Coco and I were sitting there in the back of the, Lord, in the, back of the building. I was always kind of skeptical anyway, early on in my faith. And I remember the guy saying, if you want a word of the Lord, bring $100 down here. I looked at my wife. I said, the devil is a liar. The Bible's full of words for free. 
not paying you $100 to give me a prophetic word. And then, listen, one of the people, I heard him coming back up the aisle. It was the funniest thing I ever heard in my life. He said, he walked back, he said, he knows my name. The prophet knew my name. I'm like, fool, if you don't know your name, you dangerous. You really dangerous. You came to church and you're impressed because somebody knew your name. Don't, please don't be gullible in this way. Don't let people manipulate you. I'm not going to ever get into a situation where I'm afraid to come to the pulpit and tell you the needs that are there. If you feel so moved to give to a need, praise the Lord. If you want to help the kids go to the conference, great. If you don't, great. Do what God asks you to do. God's going to do it either way, with or without you. I'm not counting on you. I'm counting on the Lord. But here's what the text says. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this. Remember this. So, so this is the first time that I got a clue that I determined the financial harvest in my life. It was my decision. Watch this. Whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whosoever sows generously will also reap generously. Wait a minute. I get to decide how I, what harvest I receive. Then he says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I remember sitting in church at the offering time. How many know every church has offering at a certain point? And I remember sitting there, Christine, and my wife, you know, it was offering time, and I'd be sitting there like this, oh, shoot. I mean, it's every Sunday, it's the same thing. And I'm like pulling out my money like my grandfather used to do. I'm like, I need some change too, by the way. I put my offering in. I mean, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't purposeful. It wasn't prayerful. It was just like a gratuity. It's like, oh, shoot, yeah, uh, just a little. I got five, I got you know, 150, 10, 20, 10, five. Yeah, you could have these ones. And was surprised why I was reaping sparingly. Sowing sparingly leads to reaping sparingly. Coco was always more generous than I was. And, and we flip now because now I'll just, man, I don't care. But I, but I remember because the kids were 14 months apart. Two of them was in diapers and drinking milk. And I remember looking at Jocelyn and Keisha and I thought to myself, one of y'all got to come up out of these diapers. Come on. I don't know which one of y'all going to get potty trained, but one of y'all coming about, because this is too expensive around here. And, and, and how, many of you, how many of you have ever lived where you had more months than you had money? Right? And so I would have like $100 tucked away in the checking account, and, and, I'm, and Coco would come home. This is before we understood Nick. We didn't understand the prayer of agreement and praying about our finances together. Coco would forever hear the voice of those generous and write a check and get home and tell me, I wrote a check. Did the Lord speak to you? I'm like, no, he didn't speak to me. You should ask me that before you write the check. And we learned to pray in agreement before we gave. But she was always more generous than I was more liberal. And how many of you understand that there should be a heart? Here's the heart. There's so much in this text that's rich for you in 2 Corinthians 9. And he even goes into what heart you're supposed to have. The Lord loves what? A cheerful giver, a hilarious giver. There should be something about you when you give that's not begrudging, like, oh, God, we got to give now. It's time to give in church. There should be something that says, oh, God, you've been so good to us. You've given us more than we ever could imagine. You brought us to this place of economic, wherever the level is, wherever you are, there should be gratitude because if you're not grateful on the level that you are right now, you will not be grateful on the next level either. Yeah, that's for free. Let me help you with something else. Hold on. And God, watch this. It says, and God, not the government, is able to bless you abundantly. Say God. God. Say and God. Not my job, not the government, not a political system, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at every season, come on, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, verse 10, now he who supplies seed, your money is seed. Supply seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He will, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on what? 
every occasion and through your generosity will result in the thanksgiving to God. Because you know why? When you're able to be a blessing, and here's what, here's what would be really good, is if you would bless people and not let them know you did it. That you would bless them on the sneak. Come on, somebody. That you, that you figured out a way to do it so you don't get the credit. Say, yeah, I did that. No, then you got your reward. If you do it in a way that only God sees it, then God returns the blessing to you. Come on. Give the Lord a hand clap right now. All right, number three, the next gem is money is not evil. The love of money is evil. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 and 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Chasing money. What if I told you you could get double your salary this year? Nope. Only, only my son got sense in here. How many want double your money than last? How many of you would like to have double increase? Okay. What if you got a job and they said, we're going to pay you double? Okay. However, wait a minute, let me finish. He said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> okay. What's your name, brother? Joshua. Okay. I, I know of a man, particularly 10 years ago in my church, that said, God's going to bless me, God's going to bless me. And, and listen, watch this. He got a job making more money, two times as much money. But the problem was he never had time to go to church, didn't have time for his family, didn't have time to date his wife, was always exhausted, but he got the money. I, 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 I'm, I'm working alone up here. Hold on. So here's the deal. If you have a price, the devil will pay it. Because the reality is, is what happened to him is he had his mind on money and not his money in his heart on the Lord. And so when you understand it, how many know God can make all grace, the scripture just said, abound to you. Favor and mercy will come in your way. Doors will open up to you. How many understand? God has fed the nation of Israel and different ones through ravens and manna raining down. God has no shortages of, of ability to get resources to you. The challenge is getting our hearts in the right posture with him so that we're no longer eating our seed. We're sowing our seed and God causes harvest after harvest after harvest in your life. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. So be careful when you say, I got blessed, because there is a blessing, the Bible says, there's a blessing that the Lord will give that adds no sorrow, that adds, it prospers your family, it prospers your marriage, it prospers your kids, it allows you to serve and be a blessing in your church and community. It doesn't steal your life, it only enhances your life. Come on, somebody. Touch your name and say, that's a good word. Here's what I didn't realize. Money is indeed amoral, means it doesn't have any morality. Its morality is derived from the person who possesses it. The values and the morals of money in a drug dealer's hands are different than money and values and morality in a Christian's hand. Come on, somebody. Both of them do with their money as they will, and it reveals their character. Money reveals, doesn't it? Whatever you are without money, you will only become more of that with it. If you love God, have a heart, and you're generous, here, here's what I realized. You don't even have to have a lot. Some people say, if I get more money, I'd be more generous. No, you won't. That's a lie. I grew up in the inner city with my grandmother with, on a fixed income and no money, and here's what I realized about her. She was more generous with her lack than I ever was with the abundance I had. She always had a pot of something for everybody on the stove. She didn't ever say no to anybody. You could come, eat at her table. She didn't have anything, but she could, listen, she could take leftovers and make a seven-course meal out of them. Come on, somebody. She always had something on the stove, and she would always invite people into her home. You could spend the night. You could eat at the table, whatever you wanted, because she was generous. So if you can solve it at the level that you're on, then as you increase, you will only have the ability, the space, and the freedom, and watch this, the joy to do more of what you do now. Come on, somebody. And so if you will just be generous where you are and steward your resources and not love money, which by the way, God doesn't mind you having a good purse, girl. Come on, somebody. Get your purse, get your stuff. God doesn't mind you having nice things. If I know how to give nice gifts as an earthly sinful father, and I love, trust me, Seth will tell you, I love blessing my grandbabies, which he would say, please don't bless them so much. They get entitled when you do that. Not my problem. 
not my problem. There's an old saying that says it this way. If you raise your kids, you don't have to raise your grandchildren. But if you don't raise your kids, you do have to raise your grandchildren. I don't have to raise my grandchildren because Keisha and, Je- and, and Keith and Jocelyn were raised a certain way. So I don't have to raise. They discipline them. Keisha's not trying to be their friend. And I don't have to say no ever because it's not my job. It's not in the grandparents' job description. Come on, somebody. And all of you parents sitting here is like, see, that's the problem in our family right there. And I don't want to come to this church because of that reason right there. He's one of them. He's a grandparent. Yes. But I love spoiling them. I love that Alara comes to me and she knows with confidence. Tim, she has assurance, confidence that what she has prayed for, her grandpa will indeed supply abundantly. This little girl not only had one bike, she had three bikes. Here's Tim, listen, she had a stuffy that she wanted to have, like people ride their kids in the back on the bike. She said, Papa, I want to take my stuffy on a bike ride. I said, bless God, Walmart, we shall go. (laughs) Now, if I enjoy being a blessing that way, how much more God wants to bless you as his child, as his daughter? And you know what's hard for you to believe? Because if you come from a situation in a family background where there was poverty, lack, and want, or people didn't care for you like that, it's hard for you to imagine that God wants to lavish his love on you and be a blessing and provide for not just your needs, but your wants. What does he want in return? That you will never worship what comes out of his hands. That you will always love his face and love him for who he is. The best blessing that I can ever have is when my kids want to sit next to me, love me, spend time with me, even as adults, and don't want anything, which is rare. Hello. No, honestly, they don't want anything. And then that says, you know what I do in that? Hey, you want to go get something to eat? You need anything, baby? No, daddy, I'm fine. Well, here, take this anyway. I just love you. How much more you learning to entertain and be in the presence of your father and just love him. He doesn't mind you having nice things. He matter, it matters to him that the things steal your heart from him. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. All right. Gem number four, money should not be your God. Matthew 6, 24, basic. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, idolatry was a big deal in the Old Testament and still is, by the way. In biblical terms, when we say idolatry, say idolatry. When we say idolatry, it's a big theological word. All it means is this. Anything or anyone we trust in, depend on, give ourselves to, give our love, our affections, our esteem highly above God becomes our God. If you say to yourself, if I could just get married, I would be. Lie. You're making that marriage or that person a God in your life. And what you're saying to God is you're not enough for me single. I need someone else. And what you're saying, you don't even know it, but you're placing that person in the seat in your life that belongs to the Lord. If money, if you say to yourself, if I could just get $10,000 more, then I would be. No, 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 you don't understand. Only the Lord satisfies. His water is living water. Your money, your accomplishments, your car, your house, it doesn't matter. It's the Lord that should be singularly your heart's desire. I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, I have to monitor my heart because I'll make things more important like a new iPhone. Come on, somebody. What is it, the iPhone 25 now? I don't even know. My wife won't let me get a new iPhone. I want the one with the three cameras. This only has two cameras. Somebody said, well, I still have a flip phone. I got you. Isn't it funny that all of us always say something like, we need one other thing. I, I told you this. I'm going to tell myself again, but we paid off our cars. Our car, we don't have any car notes, and it's been that way for about five years now. But, but every so often, Ford will send me a certificate. And there's a, new, there's a new Explorer sitting up there right now. It's got the sport package on it. It's got this color. It's got rims on it and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, I want that. I want the new one. Come on, somebody. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with my truck. And it's paid for. 
which my wife reminds me when I get, hey, I'm just going to go up and walk the parking lot up there. She says, no, you're not. Not without me, you're not. But isn't it, isn't it true that a lack of contentment, Paul said in Philippians, I've learned to be content in any state I'm in, whether I'm abounding in abundance or whether there's lack. I've learned. Contentment is learned. It's, you, don't, you don't just have it. You have to learn to be content. You have to ask yourself. Anybody ever had buyer's remorse before? You know what that is? You had this charge in you that said, I'm going to go buy this thing. You got the thing, got the charge, and then realized when you got home and looked at the, the receipt, you're like, oh, I can't afford this. This is a little too expensive for this momentary itch that I scratched. And what it was is you just were discontent. And you thought that by having this thing, it would do something in my soul that only Jesus can do. And you'd be surprised how many people have run up credit card debt. All of this stuff, got purses, got shoes in their closet, but they got debt. And so they're slaves to it. And they got to have something else and something else because putting it on, people say, hey, man, you look good. Where you get them J's from? Where you get this from? And we love that. Never mind 20% interest. We're paying for it four times. Oh, geez, let me find something you like. Hold on. Let's get the worship team out here. I don't know what's going to happen in this church. We want to have our hearts be only, singularly, captured and enraptured by the Lord. That's why I got to live in community with my wife. I got to live in community with other believers. I got to say, hey, man, I want my money to be stewarded in such a way. I don't want to go out to eat when I can't afford it. I don't want to have to buy gifts because I feel guilty. Better send a card. Hello, somebody. Oh, see, y'all don't want me to talk. We've got 1,500 people in this church. How many birthdays do you think that is? How many birthday invitations do you think I got? How many people gave me Christmas gifts that we're thinking, I can't give them Christmas gifts? It's too many of y'all. And not to mention in our family, we had to set a limit. I told Coco, I said, we have too many kids and grandkids now. Only the grandkids get, kid, get toys. Come on, somebody. Because why? Stewarding. Because I want my resources. We got to retire, and we need to be a blessing. How many want to be a greater blessing? I had a man in this church listen to a message that wasn't even about money in September. And I said these words out loud. I said, hey, it would be great. Wouldn't it be good if you could just write the year's rent or mortgage for a single mom? And you know what he did? He got, he got blessed toward the end of the year, and he came to the church and said, I got it. I'm ready to do it. Show me a single mom. I want to write the check for all year for her rent. Yeah. Here's the last gem I want to give you. Resist the temptation to go into debt for anything. Resist that temptation. This is what Deuteronomy 15 and 6 says. The Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. You will lend money to many nations. This is over Israel, but you will never need to borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule over you. Proverbs 22 and 7. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is the servant to the lender. Here. Let me give you something I found on the internet, which has to be true because it's on the internet. The average monthly car payment, they say, for new cars is $667. For an average, for an average monthly car payment on used cars, they gave $515. Now, Scott, you're going to be really impressed with my mathematics here. You know I'm not good at math, but here we go. Let's just say Split the difference, $590 times two cars, because nobody has one car anymore. If you're married, you know you got to have two. So here we go. So two cars at $590 is $1,182. Normally, a 69-month term, which is about average 6% or more, depending on your credit. But let's minus the interest. We're not even going to do the interest. Just in five years, that would be $81,558 in car notes, which is not a, a, an appreciable, it is a depreciating tool that you have. So just think what you would do. Do the math of when you go home today. Do the math on your car notes alone. Just what you pay in car payments and think of what that would be in five years if you didn't have to pay for your car. 
Now, we're not even going to get into consumer debt and credit card debt because the average American carries anywhere between $7,000 and $12,000 in credit card debt at any given month. Okay? So what if you were free of debt completely? No mortgage note. What if you weren't driving a car so you can look a certain way and you just said, you know what? We look a part that we really aren't. Let's get rid of this car. Let's get something cheaper that gets us to point A to point B so we can start stacking, so we can be better stewards, so we can be better givers. Because the Bible says it's better to give than it is to receive. I can tell you from being in both places, it is far better being a blessing than it is having to always need one. Are you hearing me? So you say, Pastor Keith, why did you take a Sunday, one Sunday out of 52 to go over this? Because it's super important. Because money is a trust and a test. The Bible says in Luke 16 and 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. That principle is in context. It's not talking about money, but you can extrapolate that when you're faithful over what you have, when you can be trusted, the question you ought to be asking is, can God trust me with an increase of finances? Can he trust me? And the way you can answer that is, are you trustworthy with the money you now have? No condemnation, no guilt. But if you want to see something different this year and you want God to pour something different in, then you may need to repent and reform your life around biblical principles economically so that the Lord can get involved in that and increase you so that your house is met. Which, by the way, everyone sitting here in your generation should be leaving something behind for the generation that's coming behind you. Your great-grandchildren should be eating off your life. You should not get to the end of your life and have eaten everything so that the generations that come behind you have nothing. I was sent out into the world with nothing. Nobody thought enough of the generations to say, we're going to set some money aside. Indeed, in the household that I grew up in, if you died, we had to scramble to figure out how to bury you. Got the church frying chicken and fish and everything. Because in the hood, that's how you do it. Nobody had taught anybody about life insurance. That you could set your generations up should you die. Make sure, I would never want my wife to have compounded grief because she now, I'm gone, and now she has to figure out how to take care of our life with a reduced income. I'm supposed to take care of her in life and in death. Are you hearing me? Stand to your feet with me all over the building. So money is a trust, and it's a test, and it is indeed a tool. Can God trust me? I see that God is testing my heart and my finances. Where's my heart? Does he have my heart or does my money have it? You can, detent, you can tell by how hard you hold on to it, how freely he can get it through you if you trust him or not. Here, look at me for a minute. Nobody hanging your head. The reality is, is we're all in different places and you need to understand the grace of the Lord. I would love to tell you that Coco and I got the thing figured out. We do not. We keep sharpening it, though. Every Friday morning, we have a board of directors meeting. It's our meeting to talk through finances together. We talk about our budget. And some months, we don't hit the budget. Usually my fault. Hello. She's a saver. I'm a spender. There's always one. I just like to look good all the time. Hello, y'all. And she's like, yeah, I want to I retire well. I want the grandkids to have resources. I want to be a blessing in this way this year. So you know what that means? contentment. How many struggle would be honest like me and just say, I struggle with contentment? Anybody? Okay. Good. Honest hearts. I'm glad we don't have a lying church. Come on, somebody. I'm not the only one. So let's lift our hands before the Lord and let's just say, God, in the best way you know how, ask the Lord to help you financially. Ask Him to increase you. Ask Him to help you be a good steward of what you have right now. And if you're doing good and got resources, then ask the Lord how you should allocate them, how you should give of them. Some of you have been entrusted with much, 
but it brings about a weight because you are obsessing over how you should disperse it and move it around and take care of it. And I'm trusting the Lord to give you more joy this year. Each and every household, Lord, bless appropriately, increase according to their ability and their stewardship. We're not promising everybody to be rich. That's fallacy. But Lord, you know how to cause your grace to abound. And for those that have struggled like we have with biblical economics and and stewarding your money and managing it for your glory, Lord, forgive, help us get restarted and do better this year than we did last. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Now listen, this is for those of you that have resources. I have a son in the gospel that ended up in the NBA in a lottery pick. His first contract was for $24 million. So he literally went from being a broke college student to having more money than his generations had ever seen. And, and, and he ended up living on Lake Washington. And I remember him calling me and he says, I live on a lake. I'm like, I know. He says, I want a boat. I said, well, get a boat. And he said, well, no, it's the Lord's money. It's the Lord's money. And I just, I don't know. I said, you got a house on a lake. It has a dock on the back of it. I think if God gave you the house, he probably wants you to have a boat too. And he goes into all of this, but I, you know, it's the Lord's money and I don't want to waste it. And, and I, I was getting a little impatient with him because if I had $24 million, we would have a boat. Hello, somebody. But I said, the Lord got a hold of me, Nick, because I can be Keith sometimes. The Lord got a hold of me. And, he, and I said to him, I said, hey, you would, if I brought kids up from, at this time, Springfield, Oregon, which they call Spring Tucky in Eugene. They call it Spring Tucky. So he said, if I brought some people up from Springfield, from kids that are disadvantaged and broken homes, would you put them on the boat and get a tube and drag them behind and dump them in the lake and stuff? He said, oh, yeah, I would love it. I said, well, get the boat. Stop being ashamed of the grace that God gave you. He gave you resources so that you, because he knew you would steward well. Now, don't be caught up in enslaved. Allow it. Enjoy the boat with your family. Just invite me up, and I'll bring a whole bunch of people. We'll barbecue. Come on, somebody. And have a good time at the lake. So if you got resources, be a blessing. And if you don't, Trust God, steward well, and watch Him increase you, and continue to be generous on the level you are on. Is that all right? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. Good. So as you leave, please invest in relationships. Be a blessing. Invite somebody to dinner, lunch, coffee. Be a blessing everywhere you go. And when you get a chance in those relationships, invite them to church. Amen? Because you know like I know, one word from the Lord can change their life forever. Go with God. God's going to go with you. We love you.